0: Well, um, a few years ago, uh, a news site overseas did an experiment, which uh, Greg alluded to earlier, where they decided to only publish stories about good news. Um, It was an experiment to see what impact it would have on their number of readers. And so for a day, that's what they did. They only published happy stories. And uh, even stories that might have seemed a little bit negative, Um, like the weather report that it was snowing that day, uh, they managed to focus on the positive. So the headline ran, no disruption on the roads despite the snow. And uh, what was the result of that experiment? Well, the result was that no one wanted to hear about good news. And uh, the experiment only ran for one day because they lost two thirds of their readers. Um, So the next day they just went back to their regular reporting. Now friends, today we are thinking about good news. Uh, We're beginning a series here in the book of Mark and that's how it begins. The opening words there are that this is the beginning of the good news. And uh, I hope that as we come to consider this good news uh, in this term ahead, uh, well my hope is that whether we're hearing this for the first time or whether we're hearing this for the hundredth time, uh, my hope is that we will see this as the best news that we've ever heard and uh, news that we can't turn away from, news that we can't switch off from, news that we need to hear again and again, because this is news that our world desperately needs to pay attention to. So um, as we jump into Mark today, we're thinking about this message of good news and uh, three headings for us as we begin. Firstly, we'll see the message that's announced. Second, we'll see how it's a message that was foretold. And finally, we'll consider the messenger and the message. Now, um, just as we're starting a new book, a little bit of background because as we consider this news, I think it's worth asking who it is that's telling us this news and why we should listen to them. Um, There's actually nowhere in um, the book of Mark where we're told who wrote it, Um, but it is known to us as the gospel of Mark because there's many good reasons to believe that it's the Mark, sometimes referred to as John Mark, uh, who uh, we hear about in a few other places in the New Testament who who wrote it. Um, Now Mark himself, he he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, but significantly we see that he was kind of in that larger group of early followers. And uh, very importantly, he has very close ties to the Apostle Peter. You see that in a couple of places. Um, In Acts 12, Remember the story of Peter's miraculous escape from prison? Well, the place when he goes down the street and then he finds the other believers, the place where he goes to is Mark's mother's house. So Acts 12 verse 12 says, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Another place where we see this is at the end of Peter's first letter. So as he's signing off and uh, as he from his uh, first letter, he writes, this. He says, She who is in Babylon, and that's kind of a code word for saying the church in Rome, uh, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, Mark's not actually Peter's son, it's his son in the Lord, um, but obviously, this is showing that they have a very close relationship. You also hear about Mark in a couple of other times in Colossians 4.10, we're told that Mark's the cousin of Barnabas, uh, and Barnabas and Paul take Mark on one of their missionary journeys. Um, In Acts 13, he's referred to as their helper. But the word for helper there probably actually means something more like that Mark was their scribe. And so maybe the help that Mark gave was to write down and to be the scribe for Paul and Barnabas. And certainly that's the case when it comes to this Gospel of Mark that we're looking at today. Um, It's long been understood throughout church history that Mark, in writing this Gospel, does this as Peter's scribe. And so as they're uh, there in Rome together, uh, towards the end of Peter's life, well, Mark is the one who writes down, in effect, Peter's Gospel. And that's what we have before us today. And uh, this is the first of the four Gospels that's written down, uh, probably in the mid-60s AD, so less than 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. And to Mark writes particularly for Gentiles in Rome and beyond, so that they then and we today might have a clear and concise account of this news, of the life and events of Jesus the Messiah. So just a little bit of background as we come to this book. But if you look there in verse 1, this is how it begins. It says it's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And really that opening verse there can be taken as the title of the whole book uh, because this is what Mark is going to be telling us about, uh, this news of Jesus, uh, the promised king, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now you notice it's translated there in verse 1 as the good news about him And for you and I who know and love Jesus, we know that it is good news. Um, But one thing to recognise is that as we listen to Mark, uh, well, the word translated there as good news is really just the word news. Uh, It's the word gospel. And when Mark first wrote it, it didn't necessarily mean good news. It simply meant a message or an announcement. That's just what the word gospel means. And as Mark announces this, this gospel about Jesus in the mid first century AD, well there were other gospels around. Not written gospels but spoken messages, announcements. Um, Mark announces this gospel into a world that is familiar with hearing official announcements, normally focused on the empire and or the emperor and the news of his reign. So one example of that is the official proclamation that was made around a similar time about the Emperor Augustus. So there's an inscription about him that survived, uh, which you'll notice is strikingly similar to these opening words of Mark. So it's talking about Augustus and it says, the birthday of the God marked for the world the beginning of good tidings, that's the word gospel, through his coming. So that was an official proclamation that was made known throughout the whole Roman Empire. The news of a a ruler, a God, whose rule would bring a new beginning to the world, a new time of peace and good tidings through his coming. It's very similar, isn't it, to verse 1, as Mark here announces the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So do you notice how Mark is really announcing an alternative gospel? not the emperor's gospel, but God's gospel. He announces the news about the true son of God, the true king and lord of all, and the good tidings, the good news that it will be to live under his reign. And I think when we see it in that context of the first century world, then maybe it's not so surprising that Mark didn't put his name to it. Because this opening verse here, just that verse, would be very provocative. Saying that the true and rightful ruler of the empire is not Caesar, but Jesus Christ. Not the one who rules from Rome, but the one crucified by Rome, now raised to life as Lord of the whole world. So, this is the news, the gospel that's announced that Jesus the Saviour is the Christ, the King of the whole world. And over the next 15 chapters, Mark will make that argument and fill out for us the details of why this is such good news. But just as we begin um, on this journey today, I mean, as we hear this opening verse announce this gospel into a world of competing messages, well, I think it's worth reflecting on how this news of Jesus is still an alternative message of good news for our world, Uh, a better alternative compared to the other messages and proclamations that we hear all the time making us promising promises of good tidings. Now, of course, one major difference is that Mark announced this world, uh, this gospel as a brand-new gospel into the first-century world. There was a, a pagan Roman world. For us, we announce it into the, a 21st-century post-Christian world. But I do think that as we hear and announce the gospel of Jesus today, that it is still news of an alternative way of living and being. And it's news of a better ruler and a better way to live. And I think that as we live out this alternative gospel, well, that can be very attractive and powerful to the world around us. Um, Some of you might have heard of or read some of Steve McAlpine's uh, work in recent years. A couple of years ago, he wrote the Australian Christian Book of the Year, which is called Being the Bad Guys. And it explores how Christianity is now viewed in the West, not as good news, but as bad news. And he unpacks how we've really got there and arrived at that as a society. It's well worth reading. But one of the things that he encourages the church to do at this particular point in cultural history is to live out and display this alternative gospel and this alternative way of living that Jesus teaches us. And he says that we can do this because the gospel of Jesus gives us the resources that the world simply doesn't have. And so as we live out this gospel news, it displays an alternative that is very attractive. Here's just a short quote from his book as he reflects on this. He says, when we show undeserved forgiveness in a cancel culture in which every discretion is pounced upon, when we show costly generosity in a greedy culture, when we fail to take advantage of people in an every-person-for-themselves culture, when we esteem others as greater than ourselves in a self-promoting culture, and you could go on couldn't you, we are sending powerful signals to those who would otherwise reject us for our views. So this is the new way of being that comes in Jesus Christ, in the news of forgiveness through him, in the news of his costly generosity, The news of his sacrificial love that puts others before yourself. It's uh, news that our world desperately needs. And uh, as we continue, we see that it's news that the world has been waiting for. Because from verse 2, we're told that this gospel was spoken about long ago. I'll read there from verse 1 again. So it says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So after that initial title or heading of verse one, Mark now introduces his gospel with this quote from the Old Testament. But uh, one of the problems when you look closely at this is that it's not a quote just straight out of Isaiah it's actually a bit of a mashup of three different verses from the old testament so the first part i will send my messenger ahead of you that's taken from exodus 23 which is speaking about that first exodus that great act of salvation in the old testament um the second part my messenger will prepare my way before me is from malachi 3 that we just read a minute ago and that's speaking about elijah as the messenger who would come just before the great and terrible day of the Lord. But then the third part is from Isaiah, Isaiah 40, which is a passage filled with great joy as the Lord comes as the shepherd to his people. And so there's a lot going on in this verse as Mark kind of frames his gospel in this way. And I think the reason why he fuses these three verses together is to tell us some very important information about the news that is going to be announced through his book. So it's saying that this is the news that has been promised and prophesied from long ago. And last week if you are here with us, we've just had a short series in the book of Haggai. Um, Haggai was uh, right at the end of the Old Testament story, and Haggai was one of the last prophets to come to God's people Israel. After that time, there was then 400 years where there was no new word from God, no new prophet, no new revelation, until now, until this promised messenger will come. And this verse here is telling us the great significance of what will begin at his arrival. And so it will be a time of a new and better exodus. It will usher in the last days. It will be a time also of great rejoicing because the Lord himself will come as the shepherd and he'll bring forgiveness and reconciliation and a new creation. And that's kind of what this mash-up, I think, of these Old Ver- Old Testament verses is saying to us, that this is the news that we're going to read about through Mark's Gospel. Now there might be some of us um, who are a bit bothered by Mark's imprecise referencing technique, um, just attributing it only to Isaiah. I think maybe the reason why he does that is because he's saying to us that the best way to read his gospel going forward is to have Isaiah in your mind. Because what we're going to see is that this Messiah who he proclaims is the Messiah that Isaiah spoke about. He's the one who's going to bring about all of those things. The one who will rule the nations, but the one who will suffer for the nations. And it's that gospel, that good news, that Jesus is both the Messiah and the servant that Mark is going to proclaim to us. But before we're introduced to the Messiah himself, Mark tells us firstly of the promised messenger to come. So verse 4, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Unlike uh, Matthew and Luke, we don't get any of the Christmas story. Um, Unlike John, we don't get a reflection on the incarnation. Um, Instead, Mark jumps straight to this messenger who will introduce Jesus. Uh, We know from Matthew and Luke that this John is Jesus' cousin And here John's role is clearly one of preparation, preparing the people of Israel for the arrival of the Messiah. He preaches a message about the need to repent and his baptism is one of preparation for the forgiveness that will arrive in Jesus. In verse 5 we're told the people from Judea and Jerusalem, they all come to John in the wilderness by the Jordan River to confess their sins. Now every detail here is full of significance. And I think if we read it with Isaiah in our minds, well, we remember how Isaiah said that forgiveness would come to a corrupt Israel. And here's the beginning of that. And notice where it's taking place. It's at the Jordan. It's at the point of entry to the promised land. And so all of this is building together to tell us this whole new beginning is about to take place. Because John, well, he is that promised messenger that we just read about in Malachi. That Elijah figure who will come before the Lord. Who will turn the hearts of their children to their fathers. Who will be instrumental in the renewing of the covenant. And that's the reason why we're told here about John's odd clothing and his strange Uh, diet so that we associate him with the picture of Elijah in the Old Testament. But of course most important of all is not the messenger but his message which we read in verse 7. And this was his message After me comes the one more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So John's role, quite simply, is to prepare the way, to announce the one who comes after him. And John's message about Jesus is that in him is forgiveness of sins. Famously in John's Gospel, it's recorded that when Jesus comes to the Jordan, John points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But not only does he take away sins, he also gives the Holy Spirit. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And these two amazing gifts, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, well, these are the two major blessings of the new covenant and of this whole new age that is being ushered in. And John's role in his ministry was to be the forerunner who would prepare the way for this new age to come. And so for us today as we reflect on this opening, well, first of all, I mean, we are those who benefit from this good news as by faith in him, we receive forgiveness and we receive the Holy Spirit. But also we are those who now carry on the same kind of ministry as John because his job really was to point people to Jesus. I mean, he had the amazing privilege of being the one who would introduce Jesus to the world. Um, In Matthew 11, there's a point in in John's life, later on when John is in prison, and um, Jesus' disciples, they come and they ask him about John. And uh, Jesus makes this incredible statement about him, which is there on the screen. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now just think about that first phrase for a moment. Jesus says, among all those born of women. Now that is a large category, isn't it? I mean, put your hand up if you weren't born of a, a woman. I mean, it's all inclusive. Jesus is saying... Of all of the people who have ever lived through all of history, well, John is the greatest. Now, why is that? Well, it's because of John's role. It's because out of all of the people through all of history, it was John, John the Baptist, who the honour fell to him to be the one who would point the way and introduce people to the Messiah. See, all of the prophets, they all looked forward to his coming. But it was John who could say with the most clarity, that is him. He is the one to go to for forgiveness. He is the one to go to to receive the Holy Spirit. That is what made John great. That's what made him the greatest. But then see what the rest of verse 11 says. It says, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, are you a member of the kingdom of heaven? If you put your trust in Jesus, you are. Well, Jesus says you are greater than John. Greater than all of the people who ever came before him. Now, why is that? Well, it's for exactly the same reason why John was great. He was great because he pointed most clearly to Jesus. But you see that even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John because we can do that even more clearly than John ever could. Because we have heard the whole gospel. We have heard this good news that Mark is proclaiming. We have seen what John never got to see. How it was that the Messiah could both be the chosen king and the suffering servant. We have seen the cross and the empty tomb. And so what that means is that you and I can point people to the Messiah in a way with far more clarity than John ever could. And friends, as those who have heard the good news, then this is our ministry. The ministry of reconciliation has been committed to us. We are now God's messengers, we're those who carry on the kind of work that John did, carrying the gospel to the world around us. Um, If you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've had a short series in Haggai, and each week we've uh, ended with a talking point to discuss over morning tea. We're not gonna do it every week through the year, but I thought again today, as we reflect on this good news of the gospel, this news promised long ago, Uh, this news that has ushered in this new age of uh, forgiveness and the giving of the Spirit, this new age that is a better alternative to the Gospels of the world around us, then can I urge all of us to prayerfully consider how we will carry on John's ministry in our lives and point people to Jesus in the year ahead. So here's a question, how will you actively point people to Jesus in 2024. And last year we had some uh, great training through city to city um, and we were encouraged to do uh, four things starting with PR. Does anyone remember them? Pray, to pray, to proclaim, to prioritize, and to prepare. So who are you praying for to come to know Jesus? Uh, Proclaim, are you able to talk about Jesus and the good news about him? Prioritize, I mean do we have space in our lives to build relationships with non-Christians around us? Prepare. Are you prepared to speak and to give an answer for the hope that you have? Uh, It's still the start of the year. And uh, so can I suggest that it's a good time to consider how we can be part of the ministry of carrying on the good news, announcing the good news like Mark did, introducing people to Jesus like John did. Wouldn't it be wonderful to look back at the end of the year and to see how God blesses our efforts as we, with the help of his spirit, call others to come to Jesus and to receive grace and salvation in him. Let me pray that God might bless us as we do that. Our Father God, we do thank you for your great kindness in sending your son to be our King and our Saviour. And so Father, may this news uh, Just fill us with great hope and joy. And in this year ahead, may it overflow from us as we share your good news with those around us. We pray in Jesus' name.